Sound Words, Christian Magazine, Volumes 71-80. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down-to-Earth but Heavenly-Minded Podcast. Meditations on the Ark of God, the Ark at Jericho and Mount Abal. The inhabitants of Canaan were greatly troubled by the presence of Israel, for, as Rahab had said, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, when ye came out of Egypt. And what ye did to the two kings of the Amorites, that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. But they may have felt that they were safe while Jordan overflowed all its banks. If any had this sense of false security, it was speedily dispelled, for, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more. Because of the children of Israel, Joshua chapter 5 verse 1. They may not have heard of the part played by the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the possessor of all the earth, but the inhabitants of Jericho would soon learn something about God's holy Ark. Jericho appeared to be an impregnable fortress, and was no doubt the citadel of Canaan, and its inhabitants seemed to be secure behind its wall, strong and high. But it was here that God was about to break the enemy's power. What were the massive walls of stone and lime to the God who had made a way for his people through the waters of the Red Sea and the Jordan? God was about to teach his people that the conflict was his, that they had no power of their own, and that they must rely on him and the ark of his strength. God could easily have brought about the destruction of Jericho by an earthquake in the night, or in some other way, but he chose to demonstrate before his people, and before the nations of the land, and before all who could learn from his ways, that his resources for men lay in the ark that spoke of Christ. We are privileged to look back over more than 3,000 years since Jericho was taken, and learn what God had to teach in relation to the ark which foreshadowed the coming into the world of his own Son, in whom were all his resources for the overthrow of the power of our great and mighty foes. Joshua, like the priests and the warriors of Israel, had but to carry out the instructions that God gave. The people were not left to their own resources, nor was the plan for the overthrow of Jericho one that man had suggested, or ever would have thought of suggesting, it was God's and given to Joshua expressly by himself in its every detail. In Joshua chapter 6 verse 2 the Lord tells his servant how to meet the situation described in verse 1, where Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel, none went out, and none went in. God's command was clear and simple, you shall compass the city, all the men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. Joshua fully realized that the warriors were to have no part in the actual overthrow of the enemy's power as represented by the wall of the city, for he commanded them, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout, Joshua chapter 6 verse 10. The only noise that was heard while the Lord's host marched round the city was the blowing of the ram's horns in front of the Ark of God. The attention of all was directed to the Ark which the Levites carried daily round the city. Israel had already learned something of the divine power connected with the Ark of God as they watched it going into Jordan, and the overflowing waters being driven back from before it. Then they had seen the Ark coming out of the river, and once it was out they saw the waters returning in their power. Here was another lesson for them to learn, so God concentrates their attention afresh on his holy ark. For the enemies of God's people, shut up in their strong city, the sight of the ark must have been very mysterious. Looking from the walls they would see the host of warriors, silent as they marched, but they would hear the blasts from the horns sounded by the seven priests that went before the ark. 
Behind the priests was this mystic symbol of the presence of the God of Israel, a box, hidden from their eyes with a cloth of blue, and carried on the shoulders of the family of Kohath. They could not see the shittim wood, the gold, the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, the beautiful veil of separation, and the badger's skins. Jehovah's presence with his people was hidden from the eyes of men beneath the cloth of blue. This we learn from Joshua chapter 6 verse 8, where it is written, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord, and blew with the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The ark was the symbol of the presence of Jehovah in the midst of his host, for although most of the warriors went on before, there was also a rearguard. Seven priests doubtless signify the perfect testimony given by Jehovah through those who were nearest to him. They were not calling attention to the host of the Lord, or to themselves, but to the ark that was immediately behind them. Every eye, whether of Israel, or of their foes, was to be focused on the ark. It was God's presence, as seen in the ark of his strength, that had taken up the challenge of the enemy as seen in the mighty walls of Jericho. In the daily procession of the ark, God was giving plenty of opportunity for all to see that he was directing their whole attention to his ark. On the seventh day, with the seven priests blowing the ram's horns, the ark went round the city seven times. How full, perfect and complete was the testimony of Jehovah's presence with his people as the ark went round for the seventh time on the last day. It was only then that the voices of Israel were to be heard, and on the command of Joshua they gave a shout. The falling down of the wall was not the result of the shout, but God, in grace, allowed his people to share the triumph over the power of the enemy. It was his almighty power that made the wall fall flat down, and that enabled his people, as strong in the Lord, to overcome their foes. The ark that had been the means of bringing his people safely through the waters of Jordan was the means of bringing down the strong walls in which their enemies trusted. Israel had refused to go up into the land when the spies brought back their report of a people greater and taller than we, and of cities great and walled up to heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 28. Where was this great and high wall now? The confidence of Joshua and Caleb in the ability of God to give them possession of the land was vindicated that day when Jericho was destroyed. Those who had despised the pleasant land, and those who had brought back the evil report, had perished in the wilderness, and did not live to see the mighty victory that God gave to his people. Like Israel, we have not to meet the power of the enemy. The true ark of God's strength has brought down the power of Satan, has taken from him the panoply in which he trusted. What was all Satan's power before him who went into the Jordan, the river of death, to make a way for his own? The one who died to bring us into the land that God has promised has vanquished every foe. Israel had only to shout that day, and as they shouted they saw the mighty power of God take from their enemies their only defense. If we have not to meet the enemy's power, we have to meet his wiles, just as Israel had to meet the wiles of the Gibeonites after their triumph at Jericho. To meet these wiles we have to be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, Ephesians chapter 6. It was just here that Israel failed. They did not consult the Lord, and were taken in by the wiles of the inhabitants of Gibeon, for they did work wilily, Joshua chapter 9 verse 4. We have to be sure that we are not strong in ourselves, and imagine that we are able to meet the enemy in our own strength. For this is why Israel failed at I. Had Israel consulted Jehovah before going up against I, they would have learned that he had a controversy with them. The sin of Achan was also the sin of Israel until they had cleared themselves of it, and this they would have learned earlier had they consulted Jehovah. Flushed with their victory over Jericho, they overlooked that they were entirely dependent on the Lord the God, and their lack of dependence and self-confidence brought them into disgrace. But the defeat was used of God to bring them back to him. Joshua knew where to go in time of trouble, for he rent his clothes, and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel.
and put dust upon their heads. Joshua chapter 7 verse 6. Here, in the presence of the Ark of God, Joshua and the elders of Israel learned that Jehovah would not tolerate sin among his people. Disobedience is intolerable to God. It brought sin into the world, and death in its wake, and the awfulness of disobedience in the sight of God, and its dire consequences for the children of disobedience. And learned in the presence of him who, was obedient even unto death, and that the death of the cross, Philippians 2-8. If men are disobedient, obedience in its perfection is found in the true Ark of the Covenant, where the two tables were enshrined for God's pleasure. The last time the Ark is mentioned in the days of Joshua is when Joshua built an altar unto the Lord. God of Israel in Mount Abal, as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded the children of Israel, Joshua chapter 8 verses 30 to 31. Joshua wrote there, upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. It was a very solemn assembly, as all Israel and their elders, and officers, and their judges, stood on this side the ark and on that side before the priests the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord. As well the stranger, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women, and the little ones. And the strangers that were conversant among them, Joshua chapter 8 verses 32 to 35. This was a most solemn occasion. All Israel were arranged with the ark between them, to hear the blessings and the cursing of the law read to them. The two tables of the law were in the ark, written upon the two tables of stone, and Joshua wrote a copy on the stones of the altar of Mount Abal. As they gazed upon the ark that day, would not the children of Israel recall that their movements had been bound up with it? They had watched it at the Jordan, they had seen it go round Jericho, and the wall fall flat before it, and they had seen Joshua and the elders of Israel inquire before Jehovah on their faces before the ark. To learn God's mind at all times we have to inquire from him in whom there is the expression of all God's will and pleasure. Yet it is almost immediately after this solemn assembly that Israel are taken in with the wiles of the Gibeonites. We should have expected that after the failure at Ai they would have at once consulted Jehovah before his ark, but again they fail. It is so often the same with ourselves. Instead of consulting the Lord, as being strong in him, we rely on our own imagined strength and wisdom, with the resulting failure of one kind or another. But these things are written that we might learn from Israel's failure, so that in the conflict into which God has called us we may ever rely on the grace strength and wisdom of him who has for us broken the power of the enemy, and given to us such rich blessings.